0: My guest today is Jay Rock. Jay is the founding member of the law firm Rock Fusco & Connolly LLC, based in Chicago. His firm concentrates in areas of commercial litigation, real estate matters, and municipal litigation. Today, the topic of our conversation is around commercial property taxes. I've known Jay for a number of years, and he's one of the preeminent experts in this field. This should be a good discussion. Jay, welcome to the program. Thank you, Dougal. Great to be here. So, Jay, can you tell us something about yourself and about your firm? Sure. My law firm's name is Rock Fusco and Connolly,
1: and it started out in 1971 when my dad and Dan Fusco decided to start the firm. And then in 2004, after I was working there for a few years, my dad and Dan decided to kind of semi-retire. So... Me and a couple guys picked up the pieces. We started our own firm and we've grown from six lawyers in 2004 to we just hired our 34th lawyer who will be starting next week. We're a full service firm. We have made it a mission of ours to hire different uh, attorneys that handle different practice areas so that we can be a one stop shop for all of our clients. So they don't have to make different phone calls to different lawyers for different issues that might affect their business or their, their lives individually. Okay. And your focus? My focus has changed because now it's my firm. So I don't do a whole lot of the day-to-day work. I mean, I'm still involved, but my focus is more running the firm, managing all the attorneys and all the staff as well as, you know, client development, client maintenance and those kind of issues. But, you know, my practice started out as I was a litigator. I was in the state's attorney's office for 5 years, so I was a trial attorney. I loved going to trial. I don't really do it anymore because I just don't have the time. But over the years, my practice has broadened into more transactional with banking and real estate, but still
0: in the litigation area. Great. Thanks for that. I've always known you specific, you know, in my world with property taxes, you've always had a a very good reputation in in that particular area. And that's what the topic of discussion is on today. We're going to some of it's gonna be pretty basic information and you can educate the audience on the process and what's going on here in, in Cook County and Illinois relative to commercial property taxes, although I know you do residential as well. So my first question, Jay, is what are the tax rates for commercial properties in Illinois and by county and how often are commercial property taxes assessed? OK, so I'll take
1: the, the second part first because that's the quicker answer. So in Cook County, the properties are reassessed every three years. The assessor does the city one year, the northern suburbs, the next, and then the southern suburbs in the third year. And so it just spins around every three years. In all the other counties, it's a quadrennial; it's every four years. Um, and the tax rates, they vary based upon the location and the boundaries of the taxing district. So the taxing district is like, let's say I Personally, I live in DuPage County and I live in Downers Grove Township. So there are, I'm going to have a separate tax rate and everything else just based upon where I live because my taxing bodies, which includes District 86 and District 181, which is the school districts, as well as the different pension funds, the Village of Clarendon Hills where I live, as well as DuPage County. So the taxing district, every year they kind of look at the revenue that is necessary, that then they pass a levy. And then that's passed down to the municipalities for them to kind of determine what the tax rate is going to be from year to year. So it varies.
0: Okay. And how do our tax rates compare to some of the other states in the process that you just described? Is it similar throughout? Is there some continuity?
1: No. Illinois is one of the more, how can I say this, unique and involved processes and probably in the country. It's very confusing for, you know, we represent a lot of REITs and, you know, investors from other states doing industrial or commercial properties. And it's very confusing for them to get their arms around this because we are very unique and very, a little more complicated than it probably needs to be. But from what I have read, uh, I don't have any firsthand knowledge of this, but what I've read is that Illinois is ranked in the top 10 in the most burdensome states for property taxes in the country. So I I also, you know, dealing with these REITs and these out-of-state investors realize that a lot of them are, you know, trying to extricate themselves because of the tax burdens in some of these municipalities. You know, there are some that are just out of control and that's a function not a function of mismanagement of the municipality, it's more a function of their tax base just isn't there. They don't have a lot of retail or, you know, they don't have deal- car dealerships or a mall, things like that that are driving sales tax. And so, you know, the burden for, you know, keeping the fire department running, keeping the police department up and running, you know, making sure that, you know, the parks are all, you know, the grass is being mowed, all of that costs money. And so, it's got to come from somewhere. And unfortunately, it's going to come from the taxpayer who lives in that municipality or owns a building in that municipality. So it's a tough balance. And I know a lot of municipalities, It it's hard because they want to drive more businesses into their community. But, you know, these businesses look at the tax rates and they're like, ah, we just can't do it. We can't pull it off. And so, I mean, even with incentives, it's sometimes difficult for them to attract new businesses into their communities.
0: And I mean, Illinois has some of the highest, I think the second highest property taxes in the nation behind New Jersey. Is that just historical kind of legacy, like we talked about earlier, kind of pension fund underfunding, funding or what's the reason for that?
1: Yeah, a lot of it is the the pension funds and a lot of it is just the the cost of everything has gone up. I mean, you know, the cost of gas has gone up, the the, the cost to maintain the police department. I mean, you you know, you have to pay people salaries in order to keep them on board. You know, I know a lot of municipalities and the outgoing DuPage County board chairman, Dan Cronin, who's a friend of mine, you know, he did a great job until he retired of trying to reduce the number of taxing districts in DuPage County. You had all these kind of overlapping taxing districts where people were not only generating a salary, but generating a pension. And so that was creating a great deal of expense. And so he was trying to collapse all these and and get rid of this. And I don't want to call it waste, but that's what the taxpayer would see on their tax bill. And so, you know, it has been a problem. But and I I'll agree with you that pension is the largest driver of expense. I mean, I think Illinois in the state of Illinois, who was I listening to was somebody was giving a speech at the city club and they were talking about how the number of employees and the cost for those employees was the lowest that it had been since 1972 and yet the budget kept going up because of the the liability for the pensions because of the cost of cost of living increase that is three percent every single year you know without fail and these pensioners were you know retiring after their 30 years and god bless them for their. Service, but then they were living for another twenty or thirty years, and so they're getting three percent every single year, and it, it's just it's it's a difficult situation to manage
0: for the people who have to make a budget and then go out and collect those dollars right right Well, it's something that you know it gets passed on from a commercial standpoint, it gets passed on to the tenants, and so the tenants are all you know quite aware of you know so we're when we talk to you know you talk to tenants about the Chicago market and one of the things that stands out is you know the higher the higher commercial property taxes they like the value there's a good value in in lease rates here in Chicago but when they look at the taxes they're they're really quite surprised so it's something that it, you know perception and reality that it's it's become a challenge but i know you've got ways of or landlords have ways of contesting some of those and, and working around that but before i get into that i just want to kind of talk about Fritz Kagi and just his role as a cook county assessor and what ability and power he has to affect the assessments on these properties. So Fritz is, Fritz Kegge is the assessor. And so it's his
1: job to assess, equitably assess all properties in Cook County so that comparable you know, residential homes are all basically taxed the same based upon their market value. And, and then he does the same thing with industrial and commercial. And again he does that every three years in each one of the areas and once those values are published then the you know the taxpayer has the opportunity to appeal that using evidence of you know recent sale or if it's a commercial property the income being generated by that property or an appraisal whatever it might be and then you know the assessor's office will render a decision and then from there you have the opportunity to go to the board of review for a further appeal. And there are three members on the Board of Review. There's uh, Commissioner George Cardenas, Commissioner Larry Rogers, and Commissioner Steele, who I think both Cardenas and Steele were just elected. Yes, yeah, Samantha Steele. So, you know, and then you file the same kind of appeal there. It's a little different format, but, you know, same gist. And then once you get a result from there, then it moves on. If you, if need be, to either the Property Tax Appeal Board for the state of Illinois, or you can file what's called a special objection in the Circuit Court of Cook County. So that's kind of the that's kind of the process in a nutshell.
0: Okay, I've read that Kagi. I don't know if he has, but he's talked about reversing some of the border review decisions. Is that unique to have happen? Is that happening? It is unprecedented, and I've heard the same
1: thing. It, I don't know. I think in a few properties, he has done that. It's mostly been in the north, you know, and I I, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I, I know that like a Nutrier township, he has reversed the border review on a few cases, even after, like after. So again, normally when he does a reassessment, especially in residential, that value should hold for three years. The assessed value should hold for three years. And what we have discovered and what the assessor has noted is that he did not agree with the border review, and so that even though it was not uh, time for a reassessment, he was going to go in and reassess the property back to what he believed was the true property because he thought the border review was too low. So it's completely unprecedented. I don't, I don't recall ever an instance of you know. Berrios or Hulan or, you know, the rest of them. I don't remember any instances of this happening before. I mean, I, again, I haven't been doing it. I've only been doing this for 20 or so years, so I don't have the knowledge going back to the 80s or 70s. But from my knowledge, this is unprecedented.
0: Yeah, I saw, you know, specifically downtown office building wise, uh, Chase Tower, I saw and uh, 360 Cermac. He felt those kind of stood out in terms of being underassessed. So I'm not sure where that stands right now. Yeah,
1: you know, and the one of the misconceptions that people have, and and sorry, if you if you want to ask another question, go ahead. But one of the misconceptions that that people have, and you know, people bring up the Sears Tower all the time or Willis Tower, excuse me, as the prime example because it traded at some point in time for you know a billion dollars, and yet its tax bill was only valuing it at I think it was four fifty or four seventy five million, and somebody said, well, how can that be possible? And what people aren't taking into consideration is you know the the reason people pay that kind of a value for that kind of a property is it's an investment. You know they're looking at the long term and they have projections and they have pro and they say, okay, if I'm generating this kind of rent, then it's gonna I'll be able to you know not only cover the debt service, but I'll be able to make a little money, make some improvements, and do all these things. And the assessor really doesn't or the, the public doesn't really take that into consideration they just say oh my gosh it traded for a billion one so that's what the market value should be at by the assessor uh, I mean, that would be crushing and then second of all nothing would ever trade for its true value based upon its income or its potential income because people all they'd think of is you know okay well here comes fritz Kage down the street and he's going to hammer me as soon as i buy this building and And I'm not talking just of the Sears Tower. That's the one that's that sticks out the most. but it's it's a lot of industrial buildings. you know you're you're in the same field I am. You see these guys who are buying these buildings, and one of the things that you know we have done for potential buyers is we kind of run you know back of the cocktail napkin math so they can know going into it, okay, this is what we think your real estate taxes are going to end up at based on that purchase price because that is what Fritz Keggy has been doing. You know, instead of looking at the income value, we're having to look at the purchase price, which is kind of different. You know, that's, that's the worst case scenario, which really shouldn't be happening. So, but that, that's the kind of the reality that we're in these days.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like, I mean, how do you figure out if you're on the same page with, with, with Kagi? I mean, in terms of if you're, if you guys aren't looking at the same metrics, how do you, how do you come to terms on it? I mean,
1: you don't, I mean, that's the unfortunate thing is, is that, you know, we, we have had very little success with the assessor's office most of our successes come at the border review or ptab or in the circuit court of cook county that's where our successes come because that is, reflects more of and i, I don't want to say reality and i don't want to you know say, speak poorly of the assessor i understand his methodology but his methodology doesn't seem to jive with the real estate industry in general he's just trying to say you know market to market and it's not that's not the way that real estate deals are done it's just not you know i think it would make your job incredibly difficult if people were doing that and that's the result that people were getting i think deals would trade for a whole lot lower if that was the case because right. people wouldn't be looking at their in, the potential income
0: right they would just be looking straight up at the purchase price so right right what how long does it take to appeal generally speaking so
1: the assessor opens up townships kind of in a staggered basis. You know, he'll open one, two, three at a time. And once he opens it up and issues those values, you have about 30 days to file your appeal. And then from there, it's could be, you know, it's varied lately with the assessor how long he takes to issue a decision. But once he issues a decision and certifies the township, you then have another 30 days to file your appeal to the Board of Review. The Board of Review then does what it needs to do. And then once those values are certified by the Board of Review, then you have the opportunity to go to PTAB or the Circuit Court of Cook County. So in a perfect world, let's say values opened up just recently. I forget which township, but they just opened up maybe two, three weeks ago. So you're looking at the middle of April for those appeals to be filed. You know, hopefully it'll only be a couple of months before he issues a ruling. And then you have 30 days for that for the Board of Review. The Board of Review hopefully we get a decision you know, before or somewhere around Halloween. And then, you know, because the, the tax bills have to go out. I mean, the first tax bill always goes out around for March. And then the second tax bill hopefully is before the end of the year because those taxing districts need those, do- those dollars. So that's how they're kind of structures so that all the decisions from
0: the Board of Review are finished uh, before those tax bills need to go out at the end of the year. Okay. What sort of exemptions or credits are available for commercial properties? So there's the most probably the most popular, most well known
1: is the 6B, which is based upon, you know, the development of a new building or rehabilitation of an existing building, you know, to to revitalize that building. And then, you know, then there's the reutilization of abandoned buildings and properties in a 6B What it does is it it, instead of being assessed, so there's, let me back up, so there's two levels of assessment. For residential, it's a 10%, and for commercial and industrial, it's 25% of its market value. That's how it's assessed. For 6B, you would get 10 years where it would be at 10%, and then in your Eleven, it would be fifteen percent. Year twelve would be twenty percent, and then the thirteenth year would go back to twenty-five percent. So, the six B would generate approximately sixty-ish percent savings of the tax bill. So, it's significant. And the reason that six Bs exist is to drive, you know, people who want to use a building and revitalize an abandoned building, kind of bring it up to code. You know, the different, you know, clear height and you know, docks and offices. Are there minimum pr-
0: investment requirements? capital investment for the property
1: it depends i mean if it's if you're basically looking for a, like a special circumstance then you 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 really need to be spending a, a significant amount of money in excess of two million dollars but if it's a just an abandoned building that's been sitting there for a couple of years there is no real minimum they obviously want to see significant investment because you're receiving a significant savings so what they would like to see is, you know, you're prettying up the facade, you're redoing the parking lot, you're building some offices, you're putting on a new roof, you're hiring a bunch of people because now you've got this bigger facility. And so there's a lot of things that go into consideration with that, like how many jobs you're going to you know, bring with you to a new community, how many jobs this will hopefully create, because obviously with people – that you're moving to a different community, working there. They're going to be hopefully eating, buying gas, buying groceries, whatever it might be in the community. And so those are the things that the municipality is going to want to see. And then there's a 7C, which is, you know, this encourages commercial projects that would not be economically feasible without assistance, includes office, and it's a shorter period of time. It's it's 10% for three years, 15% in the fourth year and 20% in the fifth year. So it's a shorter period of time and then you know there's a couple of others there's a class c which is you know you can get a tax incentive for remediation of a contaminated property including abandoned and vacant land so they would obviously give you a tax break for that because of obviously the cost involved of remediation and again that's similar to a 6b where it's 10 percent for 10 years 15 percent the 11th and 20 and the 12th and then there's class l which i think one of the buildings downtown just got this which is kind of a landmark or historic building. And so same structure of the savings, which again, it just helps, you know, there, the theory behind that is if it's a landmark or historic building, you know, bringing it back up to, you know, its glory days where people would want to, you know, see it. And instead of somebody demolishing it and putting up a, you know, brand new, pretty building, you know, leaving the structure in place and just fixing it up and making it, you know, revitalized once again.
0: Yeah, that building is 225 West Randolph, AKA The Bell, because it was a, a Ma Bell building. Okay.
1: Yeah. I, I knew it was 220 something. I just couldn't yeah. remember if it was Randolph or Whacker because I know the one right across the street from us went under a
0: huge renovation as well. I didn't know which one it was, but yeah, any uh, good. <laughs> yeah. So it's got some architectural significance and, um, Yeah, they're going to, they're, they need it in order to get the tenancy. It's a hundred percent vacant building that's being delivered in March and their net rents are, you know, 33 net, but with that 60% savings on taxes, they can be comparable to some of the existing buildings that may not be as nice actually. So yeah, it's a, it's a big benefit. And I was surprised in that particular case because, you know, when I think of class L, I think kind of more vintage right? What I've mm-hmm. seen, but this one is has some architectural significance. So kudos to them for getting it. Yeah, that's no, great. And how how difficult and expensive is it to get these? In the case of uh, 6B, for example, is this the sort of thing where you're looking at buying the building and then you apply for the 6B or the building already has, it's in a 6B district?
1: No, it, there's no real district. So I mean, okay. they're, they're, so the, the different, you're, you're, you know, there's a TIF district, which mm-hmm. is a tax increment financing that's completely different than the 6B. So the 6B is, it's particular to a certain property. And it's something that you would want to, as an investor, consider or an owner, you know, potential owner, user before you, you know, really go into contract. It's something you would want to investigate either, you know, before you sign an LOI or, you know, during the period that the LOI is being converted into a PSA, um, because you want to make sure that that's going to happen. And it varies from municipality to municipality and property to property. I mean, I've I've had we've had we've enjoyed great success for our clients, but that doesn't mean that it's going to happen in every instance. I mean, some some properties are, you know, easy to get because they're they've been abandoned for years. They're dilapidated. You know, the, it just doesn't look pretty. And then there's other buildings that. You know, but for a little bit of time where it was vacant or you know very nice. And so the municipalities are sharp like that. I mean, they understand that you know and they're not you're not going to be able to pull the wool over their eyes that quickly or that easily. So it it really depends upon the building and the community. But a lot of our experience with most municipalities has been very good. It just depends upon the property. You know they're always welcome, you know, always welcoming the opportunity for investment and you know new businesses to move to town. It's just, They they need to be prudent about it because obviously they have a responsibility to the taxpayers of their community. So,
0: and who makes those decisions for the municipality on the credit side?
1: So normally it would be
0: you know first
1: you know the first person would be whoever the director of economic development is. That would be the first conversation, and then from there it would either if this municipality has some sort of board or committee, then you know, you'd present it to them and then it would go to the full board for approval. And then after that is approved, then you still have to go to Cook County and it has to receive approval from the Cook County Board. Or, you know, in the case of it's a DuPage or Will or wherever, yeah. wherever county it, it resides, because again, you're you're taking tax dollars out of the coffers. So there there has to be a a good reason. And there is a possibility and there I have known cases uh, where the other taxing bodies have objected, and have filed lawsuits, and had the incentives basically reversed. Take that instance, after the fact, yes. Wow, I'm sure you're familiar with the property. It's uh, it's in Burr Ridge. It's the where the
0: lifetime is there. That that center there with tall tallgrass and, or oh oh the center, the shopping center. Yeah, it's right
1: across the street. It's right, it's right. It's south side of 55, right at County Line Road. Yep. They got a 6B, and one of the school districts sued and got it undone.
0: Who
2: pays so, for that? Was,
1: <laughs> well, the the developer, wow. the person who's getting, yeah. So it ended up that that developer, I, and I, I, again, I'm, I'm loose with the facts here, but I, I know that the developer went through a hard time once that happened because, you know, that obviously that savings was significant in terms of the building costs and everything else that they did. And I want to say that that original developer ended up having to sell it for significant loss, just because they were hemorrhaging money mm-hmm. uh, after the the decision. So, I, got, I guess it's doing fine now. I've been over there a couple times for dinner, and it seems like it's always very crowded. So,
0: yeah, yeah, interesting. I, I hadn't heard that, and that would be devastating to a developer. I mean, there's been a few instances, and in, and in, in recently there was one with Aon where the tax bill. Essentially, you know, six oh one West companies purchased Aon. They were servicing their debt in, in cash flowing, and then they their tax bill rose about twenty one percent over year twenty two to about twenty four million bucks. And in this market, where leasing is somewhat anemic, that's been enough to you know, put it back into a special servicer. So it's kind of a double whammy for mm-hmm. some of these buildings, even if they're, you know servicing their debt right now. So it's not a great, great time to be an office landlord. In the city, we'll see. Yeah,
1: no, I, I get it.
0: It's you know that's that's
1: a difficult, you know. I, I don't want to speak illly or poorly of the assessor, but
0: you know he's he's not making landlords' jobs any easier. Let's put it that way. Right. We've always, when we're running numbers for tenants, it, we've always used three percent increases on the taxes, and you know there was there were some big jumps there a couple of years ago. And mm-hmm. it was five seven, I think. You know, the merchandise market maybe gone up like seven percent or something like that year over year one time. But you know, is three percent still a reasonable escalation to use for for taxes on a on a commercial it, office building?
1: Yeah, I mean, it is. We have some clients, a fair number of clients, who ask us to do some projections for them, just so that they have some numbers going to the future, and we have. You know to your point we have kind of given them just a range to deal with because we just don't know so we kind of give them the worst case which we've pegged at about seven percent and then we figure the usual is somewhere in the range of three okay. so it just it all it again it you know there just isn't not that it was ever a certainty that we could you know nail it down but we were always pretty close in the past but lately it just it, it's it's much more difficult to do with any sort of confidence in terms of the number that we can peg on it. Okay.
0: Last question here. We're going to wrap it up. But what what are the most frequent questions you get from clients? Right why now, why are my ta- why are my taxes going up? And really, you know, for I mean, part- they, do they ever go down? No I'm kidding. Yeah. Well, I mean, they can.
1: You know, there's the the instances that we've had where they go down is obviously if someone, you know, purchased the property for less than the assessor had it pegged, then obviously your tax bill will go down. You know, the the difficulty, a lot of the questions that we get is, why are my taxes going up? And then I have to explain to them that, you know, the assessor, you know, the process, the assessor pegs it with a market value. And then, you know, the assessment is set. And then there's the tax rates, which the assessor has nothing to do with. So there's there's kind of two different components that make up of the question. And and then some people, the, the follow-up question is, okay, well, you got my assessed value lowered, but my taxes still went up. And it's like, again, that's, there's two components. There's the assessed value, and then there's the tax rates. And unfortunately, there is absolutely nothing that I can do about the tax rates. All I can appeal is the assessed value. And so those are the Those are the biggest questions that and, you know, my neighbor lives across the street and he's got one extra bedroom and he's got a pool. Why is he paying less than I am? And I say to him, listen, you know, unfortunately, I can only do what I can do with comparable properties. I can't, you know, point that out to the assessor and say, hey, you got to go across the street and tax this guy more. Sure. (laughs) That's not really what we do. But those are the more frequent questions. Is you know, my neighbor has got a much kick, much more kick ass house than I do. Why is he paying less? Right. So, right. Yeah.
0: Well, it seems that Illinois and Cook County in particular will keep you busy and in business for a while on this end.
1: Yeah, there will be no shortage. And obviously our, our business has picked up significantly as much, as much more, um, larger percentage of our overall business as time has gone on. And we have done more real estate deals and people just, you know, they're, they're, they're very frustrated with the, the, the amount of taxes they're paying. And so there, I don't think uh, to your point, I don't think there will be a shortage of appeals moving forward.
0: Yeah. Okay, Jay. Well, I appreciate your time. This has been uh, very helpful and I'm sure the audience will like it. We'll have links to uh, your law firm in the show notes. Terrific. And I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, Dougal, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And it was a pleasure being here. Pleasure being with you.